Welcome to The Daily Stand. My name is Dan Tater, founder and CEO of ADK Group. In season one, we'll be diving into everything in the world of digital health. This season is especially relevant since we've been living in the world of COVID and understanding how a pandemic accelerates the role of digital health on our healthcare system. We'll be meeting with clinicians, engineers, scientists, entrepreneurs, and healthcare leaders and get their point of view on how technology is impacting their world of healthcare. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Stand. I'm Dan Tater, founder of ADK, and it's a huge pleasure this morning to have our digital health guru, Brian Mullen, with us. And I thought it'd be great to have Brian here today because Brian has a ton of experience working with clinicians to help them explore their ideas and help them understand how these ideas may be able to turn into businesses and what are the steps for a clinician when they get an idea to move that idea down the field towards testing, exploring the idea, and ultimately figuring out where funding can come from, figuring out where it might live in the market. And has spent a lot of time working with doctors and within the academic medical center environment in particular, exploring these types of opportunities. Before having Brian on our team, we used to work with Brian when he was at the Innovation Hub at uh, Brigham and Women's Hospital. Brian, talk to us a little bit about your time at the Brigham what you did at the Brigham, the role of the iHub, and how you worked with clinicians. So the Brigham Digital Innovation Hub, really the focus was to enable innovation in the walls of the hospital. They looked at a few different areas of that, but mostly a lot of the work was how do we consume, how did Brigham, could Brigham consume digital innovation? So bring that in, work with startups, early stage companies, larger industry to, to have the cutting edge access to new and developing solutions so that patients, doctors, and the healthcare system could benefit from it. The, the soundbite I used to use to when I, when I was there is, I always thought of it as a way to collaborate to consumption. So ultimately, the, the Brigham wanted to use better solutions and leverage digital health to provide better quality care to anyone at any time and have Brigham quality care anywhere in the world. Cool. Cool. First part of your job is to take industry and give them a destination to work on their idea. Talk to me a little bit more about how some of the innovation from within the hospital too was something that you supported. Talk talk to that a little bit. Yeah. So I think part of my methodology is partly because I related. So I was a graduate student at one point in my life that had an idea that I tried to navigate a large academic system to hear, to have my idea heard because I thought it would have an impact. So I think looking back, one of the biggest things is is to listen. I know that doesn't sound like rocket science there, but one of the big reasons why I think people would come is that there was a place to be heard. The first step is this listen, ask them just basic questions to so that you get some basic understanding. And what I mean, basic questions of what do you mean by when you use that word or jargon or something? I was always usually the dumbest one in the room at that point because they were experts in what they were working on or the problem. Sure. So the usually I would meet with somebody for an hour, a little bit more than an hour. The first half hour was almost the same as you'd be quiet and you listen and you ask some clarifying questions. Dan, a lot like what you're asking me right now, can you, can you expand on that more? Can you clarify that? Yeah, two ears and one mouth. That's what yeah. I always say. What are you listening for? What, what, what are the triggers that you're, you want to hear? 
Yeah. So for, first, I just want them to say it in their own words. So uh, one of the things I hated most in my startup days and journey as a researcher, innovator, and then startup person was I'd walk in a room and somebody about an innovation idea, and then somebody's asked me to frame what's in my head in the way that they want to hear it. And it's really hard to have an idea in your head and try to frame it in a way that somebody else is asking you to frame it, but you don't understand the words, but you don't understand what competition means or market research or Tim or Sam or whatever the other business jargon is, because that's not your background. So first, I just let them have a chance to say what's in their head, however and, they choose to say it. And, and is that all? Is that often around a problem? I, I would imagine a clinician comes with uh, an idea for a digital health application. Are, are, are they often trying to explain a gap that they're trying to use technology to solve? Are they like, you know, is it a, talk to me about that. Yeah, to give some context, and this is another part, I know the empathy is overused an awful lot, I think as a word in design, but I think it, it's important in this case to give you a sense of where they're coming from. These are surgeons, they're doctors, they're full workloads. We've heard about doctor burnout. And, and that's true for the administrative side. Like they're just as pressed as the doctors are because the volume isn't different for them than the doctor. So they're coming with full-time jobs at an academic teaching hospital, Brigham. They're also teaching, usually at the medical school at some percentage of the time. And, and a lot of them that we, we interacted with were also doing research at some level. So for them to walk into an innovation group or to want to work on an idea beyond those three to four things, it's usually a problem or a pain point or a frustration that they bump into every day that they can't not think about. It's something that is so grinding on them or annoying. That's more on the, the practicality of the clinical side. If it's more of a researcher, it's because they have an idea or discovery that they think could really impact care or the world or in some way, shape, or form. So, so you listen to what a clinician, what it is that is clearly impacting them day to the point where they're coming to have conversations around this and certainly understood between uh, their clinical work, research work, and everything else that goes with it. These are busy people. They come to you with an idea. You, you, you take it in. Well, if it's a bad idea, what do you do? I don't know if it's a bad idea or not. If you read all the innovation books, all the entrepreneurship books, they talk about learning along the way, trying and failing. I don't know if the idea is good or bad. Mm -hmm. I have no, no qualification to tell the idea is good or bad. I'm not a neurosurgeon. I'm not a doctor. I'm not the custodian. So how would I know if it is or isn't good or bad? However, for innovation, entrepreneurship, or product design, there's some common things. And first, you have to define the problem. And then the rest of that journey is learning if it is a good idea or bad. And I wouldn't even frame it that way. The idea could be good, but the wrong time to implement it. If you have a great idea that's not COVID related right now, it's going to be really hard to get somebody's attention for it. The idea can be good. The timing can be bad. The funding might not be there. There's all these things of why an idea could not go. But it doesn't mean that idea was bad. It just yeah. was one that didn't fit the opportunity. So it seems like here's an idea. Here's a hypothesis. Mm -hmm. and, and how do we start to find meaningful ways to explore and measure 
the viability of this idea becoming a business or finding a, a place in the clinical world. So, cool. so Dan, the way I, I think I would phrase it to jump, even, so we're at the stage before a hypothesis has been articulated. So that's a word that you and I know. So in the lean startup and that we're thinking about an idea as a business hypothesis is something that a lot of people aren't coming in framing. They're coming in usually to, to some of the questions you're asking, like how, what do I hear for triggers? They usually somebody comes with an idea that they're not really articulating the problem, a clean problem statement. They're really telling the solution that they think will solve the problem they have, which muddles the problem and the solution. What we want to do is decouple that is usually the first step. So you can actually create a hypothesis and understand what it, what it is. The other part to that then is like, uh, before jumping to a business, because I think this is another thing in a hospital setting or these other um, settings, academic or otherwise, the goal of those institutions is not to create businesses. It's to deliver better care. So the problems and the opportunities are usually about how do I want to solve this thing to deliver better care to my patients, which is truly 99% of the idea of motivations for people to come up with their ideas. So it's really about, can we create an asset that has value to patients? Can we create a thing that will deliver value? Now, the longer term is if that thing has enough value, then maybe it's worth creating a business out of. So it can be spread beyond the walls of the institution. Let's get concrete. Clinician has an idea for a digital health application that puts them in more meaningful touch with their patients, let's say. What's the next? So you listen to the idea. Let's think about from a product perspective. How do you start to explore the product and the application? What's the next step? That's like the second half of the conversation. So usually it switches. Usually I start to become more talkative. And then I, it's really, the, the next step is to try to tease out the difference between the, pro, the problem and the solution. Where the doctors, researchers, faculty, staff have the domain expertise, knowledge, and experience of problem every day. So what we want to do is really have them define what the problem is. Step one. Step two, hear what their ideas are for a solution if there was no limitation. If they didn't have to worry about money, time, effort, energy, if they were could do whatever they wanted, ideally, what would that look like? And then three, I think it's, if you listen to Simon Snedek or a lot of the storytelling and entrepreneurship languages, understand the why should we do this? What, or the way I'd frame it to doctors is, what impact would this have if we fix it? And that starts to get to the business case of why, of benefit of spending the time, effort, and energy to explore the idea further. So clinician comes in, has an idea, explored the why. How do clinicians, they, do they know how long it takes to build a product? Do they know uh, how much it costs? Is this, yeah, talk to me. Like, what, no, what's, so, and how do you close gaps? I, I hear a quick no. How, how do you start to coach them? Um, yeah. to, just say, I, I can't perform surgery. How do you start to close those gaps and take what you know how to do and, and make them comfortable right. with it? I think that last word, Dan, is, is the important thing. Is you got to make them comfortable saying, look at you, you're experts in this and this. And this is, and start to frame to them their role and not to be limiting in that role, but really empowering them to have a participatory process. Like this isn't something that they can just tell me and I can go run with that. That's impossible. That will not work. They need to be a collaborator throughout this. And then 
bring resources to them to fill the gaps of what they do and do not know or the skills that they do or do not have or the things that they shouldn't do because their time is more valuable doing surgery than, I used to always say this, their time is more valuable doing surgery than market research. We can find a lot of people, a lot of high school students who could probably go on TikTok and do better market research than your world-class surgeon. Not that they can't do it, but it's not probably the best use of their time, especially if in an institutional context of how do you how are you maximizing the time of that doctor when you have the hour with them? So let's get tactical. Let's pretend I'm a clinician. Brian, what's the process of building a digital health application? Yeah, there's a few things that... We, to, to tactically in between getting to that point, we'd flush out the problem a little bit more in framing, ideally what they would like. Oftentimes the conversation does this have to be an app or not. You don't want to spend time trying to develop an app if it could have been, you cha- literally change the orientation of some desks, right? There, there's that kind of, it is an app or a digital solution, the right solution, the right pathway at this phase. And you never have to eliminate that outside of the gun, but like broadening out, letting people think, just what is the best kind of opportunity here to solve the issue. Then if digital does look like the right pathway, what I always was trying to help them understand is the most valuable thing somebody can do early on is get a bit more information about what the expectation is to solve that problem. So how long might it take? What budget do I need? How hard of a problem is this to solve? What technology is an app enough? So we used to have a lot of grants. I was always an advocate for smaller grants to more people to do a very important thing in the stage is some basic discovery work with a professional firm. So again, doctors, researchers, myself, we're not experts in everything. So then can we get... Ten dollars to $20,000 to go hire a firm with the right area of expertise. And when I talk about a firm, a dev firm or a design firm or some other firm that specializes in early stage product development, at least has that capability internally to be in, so that we're informed about what it might take to execute on solving that problem. What might a solution look like? What might a timeline be to be full development? What might that cost be? because that informs decisions and informs the decisions internally for that doctor. Is this worth my time, effort, and energy? Because wow, this might take two years instead of three days. And that expectation sometimes is off or I need to go raise, I need tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars versus I thought I could do this for $5,000. In closing that gap of expectation, you can be informed by professionals that can give you more information to then start to define what your next step is. Yeah, I can speak from experience myself and working on digital health projects over the years that those early 60 days, the first kind of couple months of working with a clinical team, um, there's so much learning that happens on both ends for the clinician, not only learning about how to design, build, and launch, and support, and grow a digital health application, but there's also a lot of learning for for the clinicians around what's possible right now through tech. Sometimes there's an idea of how a clinician wants to solve a problem. And when you get a a technical counterpart involved, it really opens the clinician's eyes to, here's some of the tools that are at my disposal to to solve this problem. Likewise, there's certainly a lot of learning on the technology side because we're talking about clinicians that are true experts and specialists in their craft 
And really, nobody knows what they know except for them. And that kind of uh, knowledge share can be a lot of fun. What are So you start to get the clinicians working with the technology group. They start to explore the problem together. They, they start to come up with what it looks like to, to build a, a tool. What, what are some of the things that a clinician should expect? Like, what, what are some of the outputs from the technology team that a clinician should expect and how would they help the clinician? I'm going to focus a, a, back on that discovery thing is, so if you read the end of the, if you're looking at design thinking or lean startup, whatever it is, it, it's really a prototype something quickly. So the, the, the goal here is to not spend a lot to learn a lot early on. So that discovery work, a couple of tens of thousands of dollars, you should be getting some understanding of really clarifying the problem, getting to some level of what is possible to answer your point. Like the things that I might assume might take be really hard, might be really easy for your team. The things I think are really easy might be really hard technically and start to get a plan, a timeline, a budget and some and closer to specifications. Ideally out of that, you're also looking at some type of what I would generally call a prototype. And to me, a sketch on a wall um, is considered a prototype. It's, it's starting to move something from I, something in people's heads to tangible, shareable assets. So if that's sketches, if that's mock-ups, if that's wireframes, if that's some, anything to help create a, an embodiment that can be shared with others so that others can see your vision. I think those are the most important things for clinicians and researchers early on because that's what they're going to need to get additional funding and support and approval internally or through grants or, or or they should know and understand before they further invest in this because that's really a milestone point to reflect on again does this look like a idea that has value and asset enough value for me to continue to support and, and go down so that would be a milestone like dan going back to your one of your early questions being framed as a good or a bad idea is at the ihub we might go look at this to be really long and a, a lot of money. And you said the impact is only going to be relatively small. Should we really keep on going forward with this? And, or should we move on to your next idea? Sure. Because that opportunity cost is real. A lot of the clinicians I worked with all have multiple ideas, multiple things. Do we learn yep. from this and move forward in a different way? So that's a really important moment in time. I take that step further too, that not all good ideas are businesses as well. And that's something that, you, you know, you get the technology people in the room, you get some venture people looking at the idea, you get different perspective on what, what a clinician is trying to do from different people. Obviously, the clinician's bringing a really uh, unique point of view to it as well. And you try to figure out, is, is this a business? Is this a product? Is it a feature? Is, is, is it a cool idea, but there really isn't a market for it? And I think it's important to get to that as, as uh, efficiently as possible. Yeah, Dan, I want to point out something that's unique about being in, especially in a large academic medical system like Brigham was in Harvard, but I think even with academic and probably in industry in general is... The startup scene, especially in Boston, all talks about starting up and being a business. Very, as you were just saying, I tell people now, very few ideas are worth the time, effort, energy, and resources it takes to start a business from scratch and go down that, especially that venture back way that is now you know investing millions of dollars and growing at that speed. It doesn't mean that idea doesn't have value. And it doesn't mean that you can't recognize that value today in some ways. Like I mentioned, the tech transfer office, that can be a license to a startup 
or to a large pharma company or tech company or device company. So my work at iHub, I started to work a lot with these earlier stage researchers and clinicians who had pro understood the problem really well. Sometimes they didn't really have the idea for what the solution should be, but you can still pair them with a pharma company that wants to have a new digital product that has time, money, resources, market, and understanding, but really needs a clinical expert and there's a way to license out that idea. So there's ways to work. And then in between there's, do we build it because it's good for the hospital, right? Again, that might have a huge impact for Brigham and it might be worth investment internally so that the patients at Brigham get the benefit from it and it makes Brigham a better hospital and meets. So again, it goes back to what is the impact even internally in the hospital. And we have, I think we've seen that where there's solutions that have been built that are being used actively in the hospital every day, but might not warrant, might not really have a market outside of the Mass General Brigham system. Cool. Cool. I'm, I'm going to try to just in, in the last few minutes, wrap, wrap this up, ask you one more question. Brian, we've ended up really touching on early stage digital health innovation, early stage stuff that you saw over your time working in an academic medical center and that will continue to see as a part of our team. And I think also the other message is it, it, there's no such thing as a uh, bad idea in the beginning. Bring ideas to the table, get people around the table with different points of view and uh, help explore those ideas. And it's interesting because I had a dinner last night with a clinician out of the Brigham of all places. But uh, anyways, I'm just going to ask one last quick question just because it's timely now and, and then we'll wrap up today. This has just been the in a totally different direction. This has been the year of COVID-19. Talk to me, what's the impact of COVID-19 on uh, digital health in your opinion? I think, I think it's interesting. In my opinion, this is a little controversial sometimes because the hospitals get a bad rap for not adopting digital health. I think somebody told me Brigham or one of the hospitals at part Master General Brigham went from doing 400 telemedicine visits in a week to 4,000 two, week, uh, two weeks later. So the yeah. only way that's possible is because I worked for the, the, the CIO when I was at, at Brigham is that the hospitals built out the infrastructure over years, many years made big in, in, um, investments in that. So a lot of these hospitals have been investing in digital, the di digital health and the digital health revolution. The infrastructure is there. They've been building it out. They get it. They've been using it. I think what we've seen is the regulation over it has really been one of the limiting governing factors of payment. Right. So when people knew they get paid for telemedicine and use of digital tools, that's really what allowed a lot of this to happen. So basically, previously, if a doctor saw you on a telemedicine visit or you use an app to engage with the doctor, the doctor wouldn't get paid for that visit. It wouldn't count. And now with the right reimbursement structure, that's really allowed for this to work systemically where everyone's aligned. I think the third thing that we're going to see, and I think there's a lot of hype about digital health. It, Everyone's now used it. I think this has been a great opportunity where everyone's now informed about what where digital health is going to be helpful and impactful, what what out there is actually good and achieves the claims that everyone's been pitching. In all, and I think there's a lot of things out there that aren't meeting the standard. So, you, we now have hospitals, doctors, researchers, staff, everyone in the whole ecosystem now has tried digital health 
extensively in many different ways in ways we would never even imagine of a virtual parking lot, a waiting room in a parking lot and make that virtual where everyone's now more informed. But I think that means when you create new technologies, apps, services that are digital health, you're now walking to a room with a much more savvy and knowledgeable. Great. Awesome. Brian, thanks for joining us today. I'm sure we'll have you back on again. Thanks for, for the download on early stage hospital innovation around digital health. And we will have you on again soon. Thanks, everyone. Great. Thank you, Dan.